Hello and welcome to Cinemazing Chats. This is episode 30, and we watched a movie that's based on a movie musical that's based on a children's series of books. And this movie is Dr. Doolittle, the 1998 Eddie Murphy version. And I'm here with Pablo. Hey. So yeah, um, this was kind of an interesting movie, uh, kind of an interesting point in Eddie Murphy's career. Uh, you know, he basically dominated the 80s and the early 90s. Um, what really stood out to me, uh, in particular in this rewatch, is that I feel almost certain that the way this movie got started was a producer, first of all, was like, we have this property that we're not using, like we have the film rights to uh, another Dr. Doolittle movie. And then separately from that, another executive saw that The Nutty Professor, uh, the remake with Eddie Murphy, made $274 million off of a $54 million budget. And I think that's one of those funny films where it's like, you know, even though it's up sensibly for like an older audience, uh, you know, I'm almost thinking of like the original Ghostbusters, kids for whatever reason love it, uh, maybe just because of all the effects, like in that one it's CGI, and this one's more like animatronics. Um, so I definitely think they said to themselves, how do we take Eddie Murphy, have him do almost the exact same thing, but like all the edges sanded off, uh, just make like a really middle of the road sort of kids movie. And then I think that's what gave birth to this. Oh yeah, so ha was he typecast? He was a professor before and now he has to be a doctor. <laughs> right, but it's also kind of interesting. Like um, I actually read these books. Uh, these are like some of the first books I remember even reading. Um, so like back when I was 10 or something or like, no, that's probably way too late. Back when I was in like second grade or something like that. Um, but these books are like really well known for being like sort of adventurous books. Uh, like they're not about like being in one city and then treating a bunch of different animals that come through. They're about like Dr. Doodle hears about some like treasure or something or like some wild animal that he has to help and goes off. Uh, so in that sense, like maybe the more recent Robert Downey Jr. movie is more accurate to the book even though that movie looked, like, super horrible. And then I should also mention that another reason we decided to do this movie is kind of to commemorate uh, the death of Norm MacDonald, um, who does voice the dog in this movie. Lucky. Lucky. And it was also just kind of funny because we were looking at some of his other, like, roles throughout the 90s, and this seemed like by far the least controversial one, with maybe, like, not that many edgy jokes or anything. So had you seen this movie before, or was this your first time? Oh, yeah, I definitely saw this as a kid. Um, but yeah, I didn't really know anything about Dr. Doolittle. So yeah, it's my understanding that the the 1967 movie musical also is not very closely related to the books. Right, it's always... Um, because he's just like hanging out in one city. Yeah. yeah, it's always this funny thing where like they get this property and then they say to themselves, I bet we can do something better than this like series that's been around from like the 1920s into the 1950s. Um, I did also see that there was apparently some sort of controversy even back then where I guess some of the original books might have had some like racial weird stuff going on in it. So parents were calling for them to take those books out of uh, the libraries. So it's kind of ironic that back then people were pulling books for like good reasons, uh, unlike today. <laughs> oh, I saw that because it was from like, it start the first book was in 1920 mm. and I saw that there was some sort of magical creature that was like... It had two heads on either end. It was like a unicorn and a something else. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Anyways, they, uh, but that was in like the books and it was something of, yeah, it sounded like it came from like Africa or someplace. Anyways, I could totally see it being really offensive actually from the time. 
Well, I think there's definitely like colonialist tones, but then I was thinking, of course, uh, it's ironic that, of course, I was able to read this book series in a Texas, Austin, Texas library, like well after that, like in the (laughs) nineties. And then we were also mentioning that uh, with Eddie Murphy, like, uh, again, he was mostly known for like kind of edgy adults, uh, you know, R-rated, uh, super profane uh, vehicles, like 48 Hours, Trading Places, uh, and the Beverly Hills Cop series. Um, so again, I definitely think there was a turn in 1996 when he made The Nutty Professor, where again, in that movie, he's kind of like riding the middle of the line, uh, where he's clearly like serving up jokes to the older audience, but it's like so fantastical or so like, uh, I don't know, the premise itself invites like kids to want to buy into the fantasy. It's surrealist humor or something. Yeah, and then after this, but before Dr. Doodle, he also voiced the the dragon Mushu in Mulan, the original one. Uh, and by the way, I hate that I have to say the original one for all these movies. It's annoying. <laughs> Everything has a remake already. And then, of course, after this, he does Shrek, uh, you know, minus a few sequels and stuff here and there, uh, and Bowfinger, which is actually transgressive. So by the time of Shrek, he clearly is just like kind of chasing that, uh, you know, kid movie money, uh, even though in that movie, I think he does deliver a pretty good performance still, I think a distinctive character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this one was um, an interesting Eddie Murphy role because he is basically, I guess he's the, or I had read, he's basically, yeah, he's the straight man to all these voice actors that are the wacky animals and so it's like kind of just funny because usually he's the one being ridiculous. <laughs> you can also tell it's one of those movies where like the actors like, uh, you know, they hire them because they're funny and they're like, we want that. And then the actor must have been like kind of a diva or something and just said, uh, I actually want to do my dramatic chops in this one. I want to be like taken seriously as an actor. I don't want to be funny, basically. <laughs> Which you see all the time. Oh, Mm. A few other interesting things. The director of this movie is actually a woman named Betty Thomas, and she had directed the uh, Brady Bunch movies, as well as several different uh, 80s uh, 80s TV shows like Doogie Howser, and uh, also executive produced Charlie's Angels. So she clearly had some familiarity with making yeah. kind of like a light tone. It's actually, I guess, kind of relevant to, like, female director history because it says that Betty Thomas um, was the only solo director to have multiple films on the list of um, 17 highest U.S. grossing female-directed films. So she's kind of, like, I guess a big deal. Oh, well, yeah. Um, And this movie, we should also mention, also made a lot of money. Uh, This this was budgeted at $71 million, made $294 million, and they made, like, four sequels. I think they made one more with Eddie Murphy. I uh, haven't seen that one. And then they made like three more direct-to-video sequels uh, with his daughter character. And we should also mention that even though we usually talk about like noble failures or like, uh, you know, directors who had done good movies that maybe took a misstep. In this case, uh, you know, I actually do like the Brady Bunch movies quite a bit. Um, or at least I did. I don't know if I saw them again. But uh, in this right. case, I definitely think it was pretty much money-driven, and then maybe even, like, socially driven, like, maybe Eddie Murphy likes animals, seeing as he's, like, voiced so many of them in different animated films, uh, and this one's obviously about, like, a man who has to deal with a bunch of animals, so it could just mm-hmm. be that he actually genuinely does like animals, uh, that's what I would hope, at least. And yeah, it's also interesting was, um, 
Yeah, I guess the uh, 1967 film is kind of a cult classic, but it was a box office failure. But this one, yeah, did really well at the box office. But like I was looking at some of the old reviews and people were just like, eh, it's pretty vulgar. Like there's like a lot of scatological humor and I don't think they were very into it. I don't know if I would say it was vulgar just because that kind of connotation to me would be like a lot of curse words and I don't really remember them cursing that often. Uh, so again, I think they definitely were chasing no. that kid money movie money but um mm -hmm. yeah definitely a lot of like gross out humor uh in many ways this kind of presages kind of the dreamworks factory style of just like gross out humor and hire a bunch of actors to play the animal voices um in this case you do have a murderous row uh you know norm mcdonald chris rock uh ellen generous brian doyle murray basically a lot of uh probably john leguizamo uh probably a lot of uh, uh eddie murphy's comedian friends gary shandling so yeah, you can definitely see here that uh, I guess the idea was to make a funny movie, but they certainly weren't trying to make like a faithful adaptation of Dr. Doolittle or anything, uh, since this has almost nothing to do with it. Um, if anything, they probably just like borrow some of the names of the characters or something like that. Because again, I'd say the book is kind of interesting in the sense that it's kind of like almost that Wizard of Oz thing where it's just like fantastical adventures with different colorful characters, but in this case, they're mostly animals. Yeah, I, th I did find this concept appealing as a child, which is probably why I watched this movie, because I was always into animals, and I always thought, like, as a kid, I was like, oh, yeah, they're able to communicate with each other, like, they have a language that we don't understand kind of thing, and, like, if you could just understand them. Or I thought of it as, like, Toy Story, where, like, when you leave the room, the animals are talking without you or something like that. So anyways, I can see it being appealing to children yeah but again it's that weird funny thing where again executives always think they can do better there's like just take the general idea but do whatever you want with it when again um i mean i don't i didn't see any racial things when i was a child i guess but uh if you did go back to the original books you'd probably have something you could work with um and it looks like that is what they did with this 2020 remake uh even though again that movie looks really bad oh no they still didn't manage to make it look Yeah, good. It's, it's really strange, because you think this would be a pretty, pretty easy premise to get right, and like, yeah, I don't know. They mm -hmm. seem unmotivated to make a good adaptation, or like an interesting adaptation. And you can kind of see how Robert Downey Jr. probably was like thinking, uh, I did the Sherlock Holmes movies, I'll do this other beloved uh, character. <laughs> right, he was Sherlock, now he's Doolittle, all the one, <laughs> the one word last name <laughs> titles. That's funny. Um, oh, but yeah, we, speaking of all the animals, I guess we should go through the cast list a little bit. Mm -hmm. Or, um, so I didn't realize that just like how star studded this was, I guess, like, um, the guy who plays Eddie Murphy's dad, Ozzie Davis. Yeah. He's a really good actor. Famous. It's like, uh, really famous. Yeah. I didn't even realize that. <laughs> The role I always remember him for is in Bubba Hotep, where he plays uh, someone who thinks he's John F. Kennedy. Oh, that guy. Okay, yeah, I did not make this connection. And then, yeah, this, like, Oliver Platt guy who plays a, a co-worker of Doolittle. I, it's like, I recognize his face, but he's getting, like, top billing. It's kind of funny, and I was like, oh, I don't really know who he is, but I recognize his face. Yeah, I feel like Oliver Platt was in a bunch of different, uh, like, 90s films and stuff. All these people are, like, kind of, like, character actors or, like, uh, you know, TV actors, kind of, like, in between. Yeah, like, the only person I didn't recognize, really, was the wife, Kristen Wilson. 
I don't know. I'm sure they just said, who do you find hot, Eddie? <laughs> or something like that. Right. Oh, no. Here's a lineup. She also didn't have much of a role, really. Uh, basically, the main two cast members who are important to this movie are, uh, you know, Eddie Murphy's character, Dr. Doodle, and then his daughter, who seems like she might have the same gift. Mm-hmm. Those are the two most important humans. And then there's um, Norm MacDonald as Lucky and Chris Rock as Rodney, probably have the most animal lines. Rodney's the guinea pig. Right. But even in that case, like, uh, Chris Rock isn't being funny either. Like, I mean, I don't know how to explain it. That's true. It wasn't making me laugh. He was just like, it was like, oh, haha, I'm startling you. Like, he's not being the Chris Rock persona. Yeah. yeah. He's being, he is acting like a hamster, but that's not funny or entertaining in any way. <laughs> so it's so strange. It's, it's like they hired all these people and said, don't be funny. Oh, no. <laughs> They were like, tone it down. <laughs> um, but yeah, I did think it was interesting that, yeah, Raven Simone is the other is the other sister, although she doesn't have much of a role. And then, yeah, Kyla Pratt is like a Disney star or something. And I think she actually went on to do the other sequels. Like, they actually did use the same actress, which is kind of cool, considering there probably aren't that many roles for, yeah. like, especially young people of color, children of color. Uh, yeah, that's true. And yeah, getting to be like a vet or whatever, that's kind of cool. Uh, or I feel like I then like um, of course we should also consider the fact that Ace Ventura had just uh, come up with like two different movies that were both massive hits with children so I'm sure that was also somewhere in the mix oh. like uh, we could just make our own almost Ace Ventura thing that's a good point that the Jim Carrey movies are just as kind of like in the same tone in the same comedic vein of just like a lot of yelling like a lot of just like it may not even make you laugh. It's just like, like slapstick kind of. And that's of. another funny example of where I don't think for the Ace Ventura, the first one, they were necessarily trying to make a kid's movie. That was just like a lot of it is pretty raunchy humor. And I think Jim Carrey's just trying to be funny, not necessarily like towards kids. Uh, but that's another example where like so many animals, so many like wacky antics going on. And of course, Jim Carrey was huge with kids that that, of course, became an irresistible hit. Um, and then you do see again with the sequel, uh, again, like with Ghostbusters, that they tone things way down. And you can clearly see, like, a lot more calculation in the background of saying, like, we must appeal to kids. Kids are stupid. We need to, like, make things less clever, more, like, gross-out humor. <laughs> I don't know. It's pretty annoying. Like, why do we always... Right. Like, why is the lowest common denominator children? And then we just assume that children are idiots who, like, accept anything. Uh, again, look at DreamWorks with pretty much everything except for Shrek. But then it, it it is kind of a weird dichotomy because they like yeah they made the humor be less clever but then the plot actually behind it about HMOs and healthcare system is actually kind of like deep or something so it's like wouldn't kids be just tuning out like the word HMO like they don't care about oh that. yeah it's kind of a hilarious plot to a set in San Francisco uh, which again is a very like safe like not edgy at all version of San Francisco like doesn't seem at all that's like true. what the city is known for uh but then also where they're talking about this like hmo thing uh which is only more relevant now i don't know how relevant it was mm -hmm. even back then all right so we should get into the plot a little bit i guess um it does actually start with norm mcdonald's narration where he's just kind of uh explaining the premise like what if you could talk to animals uh and then we see this like flashback where uh a young John Doodle realizes he can talk to a dog. Um, and of course, there's some sort of gross, uh, dumb humor in there, too. 
where he's asking, like, why do you sniff butts and stuff like that. Um, so anyway, then his parents and the principal freak out and they're trying all these things like to exercise him. Uh, and the dog is bitten and gets probably put down. Uh, so, you know, John feels super guilty. Or the dog, oh, the dog bites a priest who's trying to exercise right. Eddie Murphy. So it's like really extreme. He's like, get out of there, demon or something. I was like, oh but my again, God. It's that like hyper stylized kid tone. Non-threatening. Exactly. Yeah, it's like the it's like a fake exorcism. Of course, it's just some guy shaking <laughs> the child. I was also um, thinking like not anything about the plot or anything, but like Hook also has kind of a similar premise. Where in that one, it's like Robin Williams is Peter Pan, but he's forgotten all his past, so he just thinks he's a boring guy. So this mm. one's kind of the same thing where Doctor Doodle has completely forgotten he can talk to animals or like suppress that side of himself, and he just thinks he's a regular guy. Yeah, that's the big theme, I guess, is they say something about, um, he crossed, like, when he sniffed the principal's butt, he crossed the line, the fine line between harmless and just plain weird or something like that, so that, um, oh, so he's he always sniffs. about being, like, normal, he's trying to, yeah. He sniffs the butt, okay, that's He imitates the dog and sniffs the human's butt. Right, I forgot Because he's just a kid and is like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. Oh, and we should mention that the dog is actually voiced by Ellen DeGeneres, even though she's, like, in and out like that. Yeah. Yeah, that was actually really sad. I thought that would be traumatic if you had your dog taken away because they were trying to protect you or whatever. And yeah, so he it he just forgets, or it was just like from that day on, he just never spoke to animals again. And then uh, when they're doing the exorcist, I think the priest says something like "White Devil Man," which is kind of funny. Just asking the White <laughs> Devil Man to leave. Uh, and then of course there's some like peeing humor with the dog. Oh my gosh. Um, so then it flashes forward to when he's uh, now a practicing doctor of humans um, and a surgeon. Um, it's also kind of interesting. There's this kind of plot thread about how he maybe could have or maybe should have just been a veterinarian. Uh, and, and that's what he ends up doing when he realizes he has this, like, obvious benefit. Um, mm -hmm. It is a very, like, I mean, I can't even reference this anymore, but very Cosby show uh, set up. And they even have... Uh, the, that's a raven girl raven simone play his daughter which is exactly the same as in the cosby show but of course yeah but it's kind of a commentary on this like perfect family because i think the norm mcdonald voiceover says like he grew up to be a normal regular guy which is miserable right. yeah it's one of those <laughs> jump cuts you could also you could almost imagine like someone with like a more sardonic tone like if they got uh, I don't know God forbid Ricky Gervais or someone to make this uh, you know it could be just like very dry sarcastic British wit or whatever British witticisms <laughs> I don't know oh yeah imagine like a dry uh, like a witty dry rapport with like the animals and just like oh well there you go again or whatever <laughs> like that's that would at least be aiming for something like in this case I don't think they're aiming for anything except like let's tell a very simple story uh, you know we have to have big animal antic here here and here and then just fill in whatever trash in the middle and kids will love it uh, but of course it's the standard like uh, Eddie Murphy's overworking himself and he's not paying enough attention to his kids uh, and the wife is worried uh, you know, a very standard setup in, like, every single one of these, like, 90s family films. Uh, you know, he has to stop being such a workaholic and see that his daughters are, like, drifting away. There was kind of an interesting plot point with the Raven daughter, who doesn't get as very she's much barely in time, it. but she's, like, going by... Yeah, she's barely in it, but she's, like, trying to go by different names. She's like, my name is Paprika now. <laughs> and then the dad, like, Doolittle just refuses to, like, 
go go along with her and then um the wife doesn't want him to join the big hmo company because she thinks it's bad but he's like no no we need the money and yeah he's overworking himself and then yeah the other daughter loves animals but he keeps being like we got you that guinea pig stop doing your weird little experiment so he's kind of judgmental of like the whole family or whatever that's the conflict i guess yeah and she has like an egg that she's raising that we find out later i think is an alligator or something like that uh yeah crocodile or alligator but she claims she just found it in the park and i was like what the hell where'd she get basically it's the same message of like be careful uh like maybe you had this traumatic experience in this case which is like him accidentally getting his dog killed uh so therefore he's like teaching almost his uh relatives to be over cautious about it now like don't you dare think about Mm -hmm. like animal stuff or it'll be bad yeah don't be don't get don't dip your toe into the weird it'll consume you (laughs) but yeah the a plot is that oliver platt who's playing like kind of a boorish like i'm just gonna force my way uh doctor and then the guy from west wing who plays toby uh plays the other doctor and he's kind of more like submissive or just like going along with it until the end when he finds his like uh gumption they're just trying to convince him to sign on to the hmo and obviously all these wacky antics start to happen when he realizes he can talk to animals uh it's like he's going crazy or something yeah he can he conveniently like hits his head on the way home right before the meeting with the big hmo company so suddenly he's hearing all these animals like the squirrels and the pigeons and norm mcdonald the dog he almost hits or whatever and he's just like so he spends a good chunk of the movie just like denying it and freaking out which again is not funny at all No, yeah, I felt just kind of bad. Like, I felt kind of bad that he, um, yeah, he almost hit the dog, or he did, I guess, hit Norm McDonald. But then the dog's the dog fine because he's like, like a little rug, uh, like a little street dog. Yeah, yes, but it's like, oh my god, he was traumatized from losing his first dog, and then he was all upset about potentially hitting this dog. I was like, lucky god. the raggy dog. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like everyone's kind of an asshole to each other because he's kind of just like shut up to the animals and the animals are just like sassing him but again there's certain cities where i think that'd make a lot more sense but san francisco particularly back when it was actually lovable we should have all been having great lives Mm. like full (laughs) house yeah i should have been like everywhere you go (laughs) um (laughs) but i do remember also he was like early in the movie was setting traps to try to kill rodney the guinea pig and i can't remember for this before or after he could speak to them but fucked up yeah, it was kind of sad. He's, like, the very first scene, he's yelling at their pet in the hallway, dog or something in the hallway. And then he, yeah, and then he's literally trying to kill the guinea pig with the mouse traps, And he he tells the daughter, I'm not going to do yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, that's, but he that's does really do... messed up. Like, it's not even like he's trying to kill a rat. <laughs> still is messed up, but in this case, it's a family pet. I do want to say the guinea pig had one scene of their cute guinea pig oinking sounds and i've appreciated that because i always liked yes it's far better than when chris rock starts voicing it oh no um so there is this hilarious in quotation marks running joke about this woman who keeps coming into dr diddle's practice and she has a very clear shellfish shellfish allergy so she keeps like overindulging and then she has to come into the hospital get like her allergy shots uh and this is a repeated joke like it comes up a couple more times i think in the movie it's like multiple times it's it's planted the seed is planted very early on in the beginning she shows up that's like his only patient that we keep seeing over and over again and i thought that was kind of an interesting choice with the shellfish allergy and the talking to animals thing because it's like um 
another, it's like, yeah, eating animals. This actually comes up in the, there's like a three episode cartoon animated Aquaman on HBO Max cool. right now. And they talk about that too. They're like, wait, you can talk to fish, but you're eating fish. <laughs> that is true. He should have become a hardcore vegan. Um, That's what happens in the comic book series, right? Animal Man, uh, which is kind of like the same line as Swamp Thing and Sandman and all those guys um, or Doom Patrol. But anyway, it's like he has these animal powers, and in over the course of the book, which is written by a guy who I think was going vegan, he like starts to become more of an animal activist because of it. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, with the shellfish allergy, I think they were just trying to do another like gross-out gag where they're like, look at this unattractive, uh, what people would call probably fat woman, getting a shot in her butt. Yeah, exactly. But then there's, uh, so right after that's the scene where he hits Lucky, and it's kind of a hilariously bad product placement. Because they show Dr. Doodle getting distracted by getting Dunkin' Donuts. And that's why he almost runs over a dog. And I'm like, would you really want your product to be associated with almost kidding a dog? Yeah, it's like, oh, whoops, I spilled. This product is prone to spilling in your car. So that's the message I got about Dunkin' Donuts coffee. Right, exactly. Um, so yeah, then you get a, the, then you get a bunch of Norm MacDonald um, just like voicing this dog. Which I will say he does a pretty good job at. He's probably like the best voice actor uh, Except for maybe John Leguizamo. Mm. Oh, what about Albert Brooks? He's the tiger that comes up later oh, on. Oh, yeah. I guess he was, he was fine, right. but I found that whole plotline pretty stupid. Um, oh, and we should shout out also mm. that for some reason I had assumed that like all the effects in this movie were CGI. It's because this was the era for that. You know, uh, The Mummy Returns and stuff like that. It's like really bad CGI forced into movies uh, because they wanted to see what they could do. Uh, but actually, a lot of the effects in this are uh, practical with the Jim Henson puppets, uh, you know, standing in for the animals. And what they'll do is they'll occasionally just animate the mouths if it is a human, if it is a, not human, uh, an actual animal actor. So actually, the effects in this do hold up pretty well, I will say. Yeah, it's definitely a funny mix of, um, it's, yeah, sometimes their lips are moving and then sometimes it's like just a puppet like flying across the room or oh, something. Oh yeah, especially like with the Rodney the hamster. I'm pretty sure like most of that was uh, a little Rodney puppet that somebody was uh, controlling up their butt. Yes. Because <laughs> he's like trying to suffocate him under a pillow. Like I don't think that's the real guinea pig anymore. Uh, there's a quick scene with Peter Boyle, <laughs> who's like the big CEO of the HMO or whatever. Uh, where he has to like decide whether he wants to sell out or not. Um, and then he's like driving away with Rodney who keeps talking at him. Uh, and he's threatening to like put the hamster out on the side of the road. Oh, you know, it took on a new meaning for me too. watching it now is like when he's driving off as he's like freaking out that he can hear animals. He, there's like a ho- a cop on a horse that walks by and he thinks that the horse is talking oh, yeah. to him, but actually it's the cop. And But he's just like, oh, thank you for letting me know like I'm in the wrong spot or something. And I'm just like, oh God, this is scary. It's kind of funny. Um, it's like being a telepath, oh. I guess. You don't know who's talking mm-hmm. or who's not. Um, in the books, it sounded like he actually, there's like actual like animal languages. Yeah. And I read that there's like... Um, a book that supposedly was scribbled in the pig language by his pig friend, but it had to be like transcribed by his human. And so it's like a meta joke or something where it's like the pig gub gub or something's the real author. Anyways, I thought that was cool how they're like all the, there's like the pig language and Dr. Doolittle teaches them how to write or speak this, like know the grammatical rules of the Yeah, actually they go into that (laughs) stuff a lot in the books, uh, exactly like what you're saying. And I I did probably find that really interesting as well uh, because I was probably also learning about language at the time. 
you know, just learning English and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, again, I don't know why they don't either make a, like a TV show, like it could be animated or whatever, uh, where they actually delve into those interesting things. I forget if they, um, do they show him like making, you know, do they zoom out to the other people's perspective in this movie? I forget where he's like making animal sounds. That's all they hear, I assume. Or no, no, no. They hear him speaking English and they don't hear any sounds from the animals. Cause I remember the dad is just like, why are you talking to the dog? The dog can't understand you. Um, yeah, I think he probably just speaks. In so English. I think he's just speaking English. Yeah. Which again okay. is a flaw. Um, but yeah, it's also kind of funny that around the same time they're writing these books, uh, you know, The Wizard of Oz was huge, which also has a bunch of fantastical animals. I might have said this already. Um, and like the Narnia books, of course. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so then uh, they drop one of the daughters off at summer camp, um, which again is probably just like they didn't want to pay these child actors uh, to follow all these like union rules. And then they go to have a vacation at Ossie Davis's mysterious cabin. Yeah, I was like, in, I was confused by this plot line because in the very beginning, they're talking about the daughters going to camp and the daughter doesn't want to leave the giant egg right. um, at home. But it does. But I think that this weekend, they're just going on a little retreat. I don't think it's like they're going to camp. So I couldn't tell if they dropped that line or camp was like a different part of the summer, like another week or anyways. But somehow they're just on vacation this weekend at the grandpa's cabin. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's a very mysterious scene. I don't think it's well executed or explained. Yeah, and they also, I was confused by him just, like, jumping in the car, escaping the HMO appointment, and he's just, like, driving off, and I was like, wait, where is he going? But then, yeah, he's going to see, he's just running away to see his family. Well, I assume the character thinks he's having a complete mental breakdown, uh, so he's trying to, like, relax and not go crazy. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, so this is a terrible get down tonight joke, uh, which is like Rodney watching him and his wife or something, just singing that song. Oh, which again feels God, like pre donkey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like he's gotten a reputation uh, thanks to the Norm Macdonald dog and uh, other animals he's interacted with that he's some sort of animal doctor. So now all the animals are seeking him out to get uh, treated. And that's definitely a very, like, Ace Ventura scene where, like, all the animals start pouring into his house. <laughs> um, and, of course, he has to be, like, extremely reluctant. Uh, you know, there are some sparks of, like, traditional Eddie Murphy where he's, like, freaking out. Uh, but he will just, like, say a one-liner or something. But it's, you can tell that he definitely was, like, I'm gonna go low-key on this one. You know, um, I had watched, um, like, rewatched Coming to America before this. And in that one, he's so calm. His whole, his character, it's so interesting how different. <laughs> yeah, no, I think he does have a range. Uh, even in The Nutty Professor, like, he's playing two characters, technically. Like, he's playing the mild-mannered professor and then the super id, like, character. So, mm. yeah, you can definitely say that he does. Uh... Or even, like, in Bowfinger, which was a movie he made around the same time, he plays, like, a character who looks like a different character. So one is, like, again, very aggressive. The other one's, like, very meek and, like, almost like a nerd or something. So it seems like he's kind of obsessed with these ideas okay. of being, like, his two personalities he or something. He likes contrasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and we kind of skipped over it, but back when... Uh, so he hits the dog, uh, Lucky, and brings him over to an actual veterinarian. And that's when we get, like, this gay panic joke, kind of, where it's like... Norm's like, don't let him stick his finger in my butt, or whatever. 
So technically... Yeah, really, Eddie Murphy will be the only, like, ethical veterinarian, because he can be like, oh, now I'm gonna do this, and they'll be like, yes, okay. Yeah. Um, but that, yeah, that whole joke, is that Jeffrey Tambor? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Jeffrey Tambor's the doctor. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just like a running oh, yeah, Austin joke. Powers is probably another film that was, like, in the ether at this time. Yeah, like, we have to be oh, kind of raunchy, true. kind of silly, goofy... Oh my god, Austin Powers and, yeah, because that was Mike Myers and Eddie Murphy teamed up for Shrek, so they were both super hot at the time. It's just so annoying, like, if they did actually do the thing they claimed they were going to do, like, if they did actually make that sort of, like, edgy adult humor, which again is why Shrek was so successful, instead of being like, we need to talk down to kids and, like, pretend it's edgy, but kids can obviously tell. I don't know, it's annoying. (laughs) Um, But yes, well, we also get the rats early on because he's, like he's freaking out over the fact that he can't escape the animals like they're coming into the cabin or whatever and then he's like driving off again <laughs> away from the family but it's then he's driving. that's when he sees the the rats yeah he's driving a lot. this is a, this movie is called drive angry actually and it's weird because like all the medical stuff is like giving ct scans to himself and other animals and just like like basically that's what this movie thinks that being a doctor is just like two things it was kind of funny how they had, yeah, the what they thought about doctors. They had, like, the doctors just in the waiting room just calling out the patients to be like, all right, come on. And I'm like, I don't think that they do that, but okay. <laughs> They're, like, way too hands-on. Yeah. Um, so this is Raven's big scene. Uh, I think there's some sort of antic where uh, Dr. Doodle is trying to hide the animals. Um, and then Raven has to, like, use the restroom or whatever. He's like, oh, yeah, go ahead. Or, like, stop. Or don't, you know, don't see the animals. I think there's, like, animals in the bathroom, and somehow he has to hide them or something like that. Yeah, they're, like, are they in the shower? I don't... He's, like, don't make a sound. It's just one of those scenes. (laughs) It's, like, we have to not let the person see the thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I did notice two other voice actors around this time. Um, There's a pigeon voice by Julie Kavner, who voices Marge Simpson and a bunch of other characters on The Simpsons. And then there's another dog who uh, is voiced by Gilbert Gottfried, so he sounds exactly like Iago or the Affleck duck. It's all, it's all the same voice. Mm-hmm. So yeah, then the big plot of this movie becomes about Tiger. Yeah, I guess that was their attempt to imitate the adventuring of the books where it's like he goes, he somehow ends up at the carnival where there's a tiger. And so that's like the animal he gets to, the big animal. That'd be another main plot of the book, almost like house or whatever. It's like, what's the big medical mystery? Like, what's the animal? That That is the main plot. Mm-hmm. Um... Oh, and then I think this is a reference to the 60s movie, but there's a horse that needs glasses. I'm pretty sure that happened in the original movie, too. Oh, yeah. Is that the Ed horse that they're referencing? Or is that, some, that was something else? Maybe that was just the old Dr. Doolittle. I just ca- I can't remember, but I think it's in that montage where he sings the song, If I Could Talk to the Animals, Walked with the Animals. Um, there's like a horse with glasses or something. Mm. Which, again, is nothing like the book and exactly like what a studio executive's version of this concept would be. <laughs> Wait, when is the monkey? I think there's a monkey also in the carnival that he maybe rescues or something or, like, helps escape. But it's the same spider monkey that had in Friends. Like, that same actor. (laughs) And we're like, that monkey has a good agent. Oh, yeah. So I guess this movie can be seen as either, like, you know, it could always just be, like, all a dream because he hit his head or, like, a guy's descent into madness. But it can also just be, like, a guy realize, you know, fully realizing himself and, like 
embracing the weird or whatever i guess right because he obviously just became a doctor uh probably to like impress his father uh who seems kind of like a demanding guy yeah he picked the most like normal life path that he could think of <laughs> no erica it's an x-men origins movie dr doodle oh my god he's a meta <laughs> So yeah, then they have to rescue a, uh, a tiger who's suicidal and is walking around in that big tower they have in San Francisco. So he has to like go talk him down, even though it's not his job description. The Coit Tower, right? Oh yeah, they love the fat ass jokes. Uh, oh, and here's a really inappropriate reference. I think Lucky probably says to the tiger, uh, you big pussy or something. And I'm like, oh my it's gosh. not appropriate for kids. And technically he is a cat, so. Yeah, it's like... It is bizarrely, like, half appropriate for kids and half not appropriate for kids. So yeah, then he decides he wants to figure out what's going on with this tiger, so he's gonna try to help him. And meanwhile, the two doctor friends keep, like, bothering him and trying to, like, get him to agree to sign the HMO stuff. He's increasingly distracted. And that's where we get the hilarious rat fart joke uh, sequence, where there's, like, a rat seemingly having a heart attack or something. So he, like, takes him into the hospital and does all this elaborate stuff, uh, and then it just turns out he had gas. <laughs> Do, yeah, he does CPR on the rat, right? Right, and that's more pretty dumb gross-out humor. Kisses the rat, <laughs> right? <laughs> so yeah, basically you can see that treating human patients, he wasn't really enjoying his life, but now that he has received all this attention, he has almost gotten his second calling. Yeah, it's like, yeah, so he's running around avoiding making a decision about the HMO and avoiding his family finding all these animals following him around. And then, yeah, of course, obviously, it's going to get to a breaking point where people are going to be like, what are you doing? Right. Yeah, and then even in the rat CPR scene, uh, I think that's the only time really where you can pinpoint Eddie Murphy actually trying to be funny. You know, just like antics. Oh, yeah, the monkey ha is the alcoholic monkey or something from the circus i guess yeah oh yeah so then he gets committed uh by the other doctors his psychiatrist is played by paul giamatti oh right and there's kind of a funny joke where paul giamatti brings in an orangutan and is like all right if you can talk to animals and talk to this one and he tries to do it but then he's like wait wait the orangutan speaks spanish and the last thing is like the orangutan saying yeah or something like that <laughs> yeah the orangutan's just fucking with them like just not really saying much and <laughs> so of course it doesn't show anything some hilarious minorities in the media joke <laughs> spanish was so popular back then oh my god but how does he get out of there i forget well before that uh norm mcdonald as lucky gives him a little pep talk and says the theme of the movie be who you are so he has to believe in himself to get out of there but i think he kind of rejects that uh and lucky goes away for a little bit and he's basically just returning to his regular job and pretending to be normal again and it's only after he like talks to his daughter the youngest daughter and kind of realizes that she also shares his powers and just been hiding it. And also, I think uh, Ossie Davis says something about them, like, reconciling. Can't remember exactly what, but... It's been like, I never thought you didn't need to do that, or I don't know. Yeah, the dad does a complete 180. He says, like, I was wrong, like, this I'm is I'm a great dad a now, no, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm making up for all the lost time of decades of you suppressing your self. Right. Um, but yeah, all of a sudden he's just like, oh, he is actually, he's gifted and this is good for him. And then the wife comes around too, not thinking he's lost his mind. Um, but that's what, that all culminates with the tiger surgery or something, right? Because he's, the tiger has a 
what brain tumor was it? It was also kind of, uh, well, according to the Wikipedia, a great cerebral vein. I don't know what that is, but somehow, yeah, he needs brain surgery, basically. Oh. Um, it's also kind of weird. For some reason, his daughter thinks that he hates her. Um, that's what he, like, says to uh, the, the grandfather, Ossie Davis. It's like, he doesn't like me, blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, you can just see that he doesn't like the aspect of her that reminds him of himself or something like that uh, that he's been suppressing all these years. So he, like, has to reconcile himself again, like you said, to both his family and his gift, which is a very, again, like, Hollywood script writing 101 thing. Yeah, there's very, there's specifically a line where one of the daughters says, um, he doesn't take anything we want seriously or something. So it's like, yeah, he's completely dismissive. So yeah, there's a message about embracing your family, too, which I thought was kind of nice, especially with, like, the one daughter picking her own name and, like, recognizing that you should you know acknowledge people's names and stuff like i don't know i thought that there was some nice messaging in there where it's like just accept your children no matter what yeah i mean the themes aren't bad it's just the rest of the movie that isn't that great <laughs> but uh oh i wrote down there was another gay panic joke uh at some point paul giamatti uh you can see that he's wearing a tutu and a thong or something like that just be like he's the crazy one i don't know Oh, I don't remember. Is that how yeah, he the escapes? Cat reveals it. Oh, okay. Um, oh, right. He tells. Or he the, has a cat that yeah, talks cat to Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's where we get the third hilarious shellfish joke, when the lady like runs into the. Uh, there's like basically two events going on. There's like a gala uh, and some surgery demonstration thing or something to celebrate the HMO uh, agreement that they're all making. And then somehow at this gala, that same woman is here. Uh, so she runs into the bathroom where Eddie Murphy is with the tiger or something. Uh, and she's like, of course, barfing or whatever. Yeah, that was ridiculous. <laughs> and I think, uh, isn't Rodney like going to get sat on or something? Somehow there's one of the rodents is involved as well. <laughs> I Yeah, I don't even remember that, but I believe it. <laughs> Yeah, and we should also just say that, like, despite them throwing money at various celebrities to voice animals for bits here and there, like, none of them are very funny. Like, it's kind of like that joke-alike tone where, like, fill in a joke here, like, something funny here, but then on the day they don't actually come up with anything, so they're just like, put whatever you've thought of. Yeah, oh, it's somehow Rodney gets into the toilet. I don't even know how. Oh, and it's with the lady who's eating shellfish. Why is she eating shellfish on the toilet? Because that's what she <laughs> no does. She, like, has her horrible reaction. She gets, gets off on, like, sneaking injection. it or something. <laughs> yeah, but there's, like, a gross scene where she, like, she has a crab in her bag, and then she sits on the toilet and knocks the guinea pig into the toilet, and she's, like, eating the crab out of her bag. <laughs> Anyways, it's not funny at all. <laughs> So yeah, then his wife uh, has to, like, coach him through the surgery of the tiger, uh, and by this point, again, Toby from the West Wing has uh, punched out Oliver Platt, basically, because Oliver Platt just wants to get him uh, committed again, and I guess the other guy's a better friend to Dr. Doodle, for whatever reason. Yeah, the Gene guy was always more um, family-oriented. He had, he had qualms about the HMO from the beginning, and he was like, they're gonna, they're already making you miss time with your family, or something, so he's like... <laughs> A more caring doctor. There's something here about like, yeah, you're you really love your family doctor or something like because they'll they'll know about your shellfish allergy. Well, yeah. Again, these are very rich themes that will again um, reverberate against the next twenty years of like 
doctor and hospital uh, fiction in real life. Uh, since obviously even back then they were talking about how to do, uh, you know, healthcare and stuff like that, how to fix it. So yeah, that's interesting. And of course, kids love talk about medical things. <laughs> they love it almost as much as trade negotiations. I know, right? Yeah, let's have some trade negotiations here. I will say Dune got the trade negotiations just right. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, the trade negotiations, great. The slapstick humor, no. No. <laughs> So yeah, again, uh, of course, uh, Dr. Doodle's successful, so then he has this, like, amazing reputation as this, like, animal doctor who can treat the toughest situations. And I guess it must be really easy to transition from being, like, a human doctor to being a veterinarian. Yeah, he just does that, makes that transition all of a sudden. He's like, I'm a kooky, unlicensed doctor. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I can't even remember how it worked in the books, but I think he's probably just, like, freelance or something. Hmm. It seems like, yeah, the animals come to him, so I don't know how he gets paid, but... But yeah, I would say in the books, he's almost, like, modeled after Charles Darwin or something like that, like, somebody who just wants to go explore, uh, or, like, any other botanist or naturalist, uh, you know, somebody who just wants to go explore and, like, encounter new species of things and, like, write about them and take the knowledge back to help other people. That's what the books are about. The movies, again, aren't really about that stuff at all. Yeah, much more surface value. Oh, there is a cop joke, actually. Okay, they are kind of recognizing. There's a line where they're like, pigs go home. But they're oh, yeah. talking about, but there's cops, but there's actual pigs. Yeah, because it's pretty helpful. They all, like, join together and block everyone from entering so he can successfully perform the surgery. Um, and then basically the ending of the film is, like, a promise for a sequel. Like, this egg cracks open and it's a baby alligator. Right, <laughs> Um, and of course he decides not to sign on to the evil Calnet HMO, which I don't know if that's a real thing, but if it was, it's weird they let them use that name. Skynet HMO or something. <laughs> but isn't it rude that, like, he's basically screwing over everyone else in this hospital just because he decided he suddenly had qualms, even though he was fine with it up until that point? Yeah, he should have been strong to resist it all along, like the wife and the gene guy were doing, but alas... <laughs> Yeah, they had to have the whole gala and everything, and then he's like, nope, never mind. But yeah, I would definitely say the tone of this movie is, like, pretty weak. Like, if it had genuinely been mm-hmm. funny or, like, a stronger general plot, um, and I'm sure the sequel must have been even worse. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, there's just nothing to this movie, really. Just kind of there. Yeah, that's true. Which, again, speaks to his box office draw. Right, yeah, a lot. there's just a lot of scenes where it's, like, animals are kind of ad-libbing at him or something. Yeah, I mean... The fact that he was able to force meme this movie into being, like, a huge hit, uh, and I'm sure the commercials probably helped, like, showing funny animal stuff, it just reflects even more on how, like, he kind of lost his ability to make things into hits, like, when you get into the mid to late 2000s, early 2000s, when he's making, like, The Adventures of Pluto Nash and shit like that. It's like nobody wants to work with him aside from yeah. Shrek movies. Kind of might have, might have also been his choice, I don't know. And, but yeah, so all the direct-to-DVD movies look dreadful. But I'm glad, I'm glad for this uh, Kyla Pratt lady to have had a successful career. Yeah, honestly, I would, like, watch it if it's just Kyla, if it's, like, Kyla Pratt and some ant- cute animals, I don't know. <laughs> God, I'm just looking back at all the movies Eddie Murphy made after this. <laughs> it's just, like, it's just like that scene in oh, Indiana gosh. Jones where the guy's face melts. He made Pluto, Nash, <laughs> I Spy, Daddy Daycare, The Haunted Mansion is probably, like, what really killed it for him. And then, of mm. course, Norbit. Oh, yes, the Norbits. It's just him probably trying to do the uh, Nutty Professor stuff again. 
Well, more recently, he did Dolomite Is My Name, which is pretty strong, uh, and Coming to America seemed at least decent. I don't know. I never saw it. Oh, and then he was in Dreamgirls. Hmm. I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, he did some critically acclaimed things further on, I guess. So, yeah, it's interesting, but, like, they literally had, like, a murderous row, uh, talking back to Sandlot, of really famous and funny people. And if they'd actually given them the time or, I don't know, the length of rope to, like, be able to be free to make whatever type of joke they wanted, they probably could have made something pretty funny. Because, like, uh, I mean, the Ace and Chur movies are yeah. still considered to be pretty funny, for example. Mm. Although the, you know, the fancier they are, the hard or the more beloved they are, the harder they fall. Because isn't there that really, like, offensive joke in Ace Ventura nowadays now we oh mean, yeah I mean the entire plot kind of revolves around yeah transphobia basically right whereas this I would say like minus a couple jokes there's some fat phobia and you mentioned some gay panic kind of stuff but overall like it's less offensive yeah I mean it's very safe I think movie. but it's just kind mm -hmm. of funny because in Ace Ventura they're probably referencing the crying game which could also be considered a movie that's kind of transphobic sex change right, basically okay. mm -hmm. um and yeah also yeah i think i was allowed to watch this as a kid this dr doolittle movie but like i was not allowed to watch austin powers you say you were i think i was able, able to see this i was not allowed to watch austin powers but i was allowed to watch this movie okay. and i was probably allowed to watch the jim carrey movies but i just didn't uh, yeah i grew up with the jim carrey movies so that's definitely my jam um, up to a point. Like, I remember watching The Mask, but not getting uh, it. <laughs> I was I like, can't okay. Relate. I love The Mask, but I think it is kind of weirdly divisive. Well, I was just like, okay, I get that his whole thing is like, I, I remember reading like, Jim Carrey can make all these faces and he just practices in front of the mirror making faces. And so I understood, I was like, oh, he's supposed to be, he's, you know, he's a comedian or whatever, but like, I guess I just... Well, he's like a physical didn't, comedian. Didn't, uh... Yeah, he's not like a... Right. I mean, I think he's pretty clever, too, but yeah, definitely him contorting his body and face for his bread and butter. But I do think in the masks, specifically, like, uh, a lot of people think that he's probably, like, they're probably using a lot more CGI than they are, when it was really him just, like, wearing a latex, like, application and being able to do that stuff. But yeah, I would say, like, mm -hmm. in those cases, you can definitely see how Jim Carrey came into these projects. Like, I think Ace Ventura was literally going to be, like, a straight-laced uh, detective noir that just happened to be about animals. Um, until he came in and like Whoa. totally flipped the tone uh and the same sort of thing happened mm -hmm. with the mask like if you go back to the source comics or the original scripts and stuff like that it's gonna be like a really dark like people get killed and stuff uh and not that funny uh, or not funny at all and you can see that definitely in the scenes that aren't featuring him hmm. maybe that'd be an interesting film to do uh anyway <laughs> yes but yeah you can see how uh this probably happens a lot where they try to attach like an ego or like a well-known quantity like an actor uh to something it's like here's a pretty middle of the road script or like a kid's movie or like some vehicle uh come and make it better uh more recently you can see how will ferrell can sometimes do that but mostly has not been able to do that very well like take a kind of middle of the road script and then you get attached to it and then somehow you're able to improve it like i'm mm -hmm. sure that's what, what must have happened with anchorman or something too it is interesting when an actor like I guess, yeah, they'll read lines in ways or come up with lines in ways that the writer or director hadn't thought of. You know what's really weird? Um, kind of what happened with the more recent Doolittle film very clearly, very closely mirrors what happened with the 67 film, 
uh, because like you were saying, that film was a bomb, uh, which made like half its budget. And in this case, the budget for the Doolittle remake was just insanely high. Like the budget was $175 million. It's like, even if a lot of people were fans of this character, which I don't think they necessarily are these days, why would you, like, why would that be your vanity project, basically? Right. Yeah, that's too high of a budget for this kind of movie. But even in that case, it made, like, $250 million. So technically it made a lot of money, but they probably spent a lot on marketing and all that crap that always takes away from it. You know, no Hollywood movie is ever a hit. Mm -hmm. They're always in the red. Then you can never make residuals. Like if you were on Star Wars at some bit part and you were like, does this movie ever make money? And they're like, no, no, no. Hollywood financing, still not a hit. (laughs) Oh my god, yeah. (laughs) And Doolittle also has the ignominity of like being one of those line of films like back when theaters were closing down. It was like that movie, uh, Birds of Prey, uh, Bloodshot, uh, a few other movies, just like Cats coming out right before you know all the lockdown and all that stuff happened mm-hmm. and you had also mentioned that apparently they turned the 67 movie into a very similar stage musical uh 1998 um so that's pretty cool oh yeah the tie-in there is that so this movie is a you know jim henson muppet movie <laughs> and then the theatrical stage musical was also the puppets were done by the jim henson company wouldn't it have been extra hilarious if like instead of trying to make uh realistic animals it literally just been muppets like animal muppets yeah like big bird he's like let me check you out come into that uh and you should we should also note that the musical was written uh like the music was written by the same person who wrote the songs for willy wonka and the chocolate factory the 60s version Mm. yeah it does have that same so yeah this is kind of an interesting like cultural touchstone uh pretty clearly pretty clearly delineates like eddie murphy's career amongst other things and you can kind of see how this style of movie only got more popular uh except that they probably just made more like cgi type films of this nature like again all the dreamworks films (laughs) well how do you feel about norm mcdonald in this Oh, yeah. I mean, I think he's probably one of the funnier voice actors in the film, aside from, uh, I guess, Al Brooks is fine. Right. Well, yeah, the dry humor works, like you were saying, a bit for this. Um, so the dog is just kind of, Lucky's just kind of like, oh, what are, you're going to do that? Or like, <laughs> I don't know. Just, yeah, it's, it works, Yeah, I it's a good classic sardonic voice. Mm-hmm. Again, Chris Rock, I don't think, is very good in this movie. Uh, he should have been either just more like himself, like he usually is, or just, I don't know, the character's just very annoying. Yeah, he should have just been ad-libbing or whatever Chris Rock does. I don't know. And the other animals are fine, but they don't make an impression. It's just like, oh, that's a voice I kind of felt familiar with. Probably would have been better if they just used voice actors. Yeah, there's actually, like, a ton of other animal problems. Like, there were pigeons that were in a relationship. There's, like, an owl with something stuck in their wing. We mentioned the rats. Um, but, yeah, the drunk monkey. There's so many right. of them. Oh, yeah, the monkey's drunk. I forgot about that. It's like a drunk. He's an alcoholic is his problem. Yeah. Um, I think I was really actually upset when this movie came out because, like, as I said, uh, I was a pretty big fan of the books, not realizing any of this uh, possible racially insensitive content. Um, so yeah, I probably was just like, uh, why do they always ruin properties <laughs> whenever this movie came out? <laughs> but also, like, why even have yeah. the license at that point? Like, you could just make another movie, just make up a new movie, like, same exact premise. 
and call it something else. Yeah, I mean, are they like, oh, the name Doolittle carries weight with people, I guess. People will know what this is. <laughs> I have no idea. I've never met anyone in real life uh, or on the internet who's read these books, aside from me. Uh, possibly because of the library ban-, <laughs> ban that I talked about earlier. Yeah, it is weird. It's mm. just kind of slipped between the cracks. Because everyone still, like, reads and talks about the Wizard of Oz books and the Narnia books and all the other, like, similar kind of tone of books. But yeah, I also should say, like, uh, when I was reading the books, like, they probably are, like, the first things I consider to be novels that I read. Like, they're not short books. They're, like, novel length. And two, like, feels, like, old-fashioned. Well, yeah, that was, it said it was written in, or it was released in 1920, the first book, but they were set in the early 1800s oh, okay. in the Victorian So I probably era. assumed they were written back then, because <laughs> I was a dumb kid. Yeah, and it's, I guess it goes after, um, that's when, like, natural history and biology was kind of getting developed and so people were like exploring the wilderness and discovering new animals and stuff so it makes sense for him to be like adventuring like doing natural history and said that there's a scottish doctor that this character was likely based on uh, maybe a friend of the author hugh lofting Hmm. so it's kind of like uh how the bond books are loosely based on one of ian fleming's friends yeah this guy was great with animals and the ian fleming's friend was great at killing people <laughs> or like i think sherlock holmes is also based on a doctor friend of the author of sir of sir arthur conan doyle mm. all right well that was dr doodle uh would you recommend this movie i don't even know <laughs> uh probably not i think kids do actually like it i mean on some yeah like i would rec maybe say sure watch it if you're a kid and even back then and even now, obviously, we have a problem with representation in the media. Um, so it is probably just significant to see, like, such a large vehicle go to, like, a mostly an African-American cast, at least the family. Uh, and a lot of the voice actors. It is actually, like, probably accidentally diverse. Yeah, I was wondering, yeah, was that purposeful? Well, or, I mean, maybe just... I mean, that's the cynical <laughs> thing again. Like, they probably were, like, trying to get, like, the urban viewership or whatever. Quote, unquote, urban. Mm. They're like, we're going for this appeal or something. Yeah, and I mean, and again, uh, this movie probably should have just been set in New York or something if that was uh, the appeal, because I really don't get what San Francisco has to do with anything, and it's probably all, like, just filmed all on a set or something. Like, San Francisco has very little to do with the plot, aside from the tiger being on top of the Coit Tower. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's kind of a waste of the city. (laughs) I guess I wouldn't recommend an adult (laughs) watch this movie, but I guess a kid probably would be fine with it. And I guess another thing I'll say is, um, oh my god, I'm gonna, I blank on this term, so maybe edit this out, but it's something that's like the glass, um, ceiling, but it's called glass something else, and it's like where people of color and women, um, they will get promoted, but they'll, like, when something is going bad, like when the company's about to go bad, or something like that, so it's like they take the fall. So, I don't know, that just, it just... Yeah, and so it's kind of like, oh, interesting to me that a female director and black actors maybe got given a script. Maybe they were given a script that wasn't great or something. I don't know. Yeah, and I think that does happen more often with actors or creators of color. Uh, Like you have one failure, like something doesn't quite connect, and then you're pretty much buried, which is, uh, you know, disappointing and aggravating. Yes. Right, so in that sense, I'm like, watch the movie because it's kind of an interesting piece of cinema with some, like, interesting, like, meta story to it with this whole Dr. Doolittle IP or whatever, but um, overall, yeah, it was not 
like I was not like laughing at all you know yeah. like the way Eddie Murphy can be funny it was not I like mean that's that. the big problem I had with it ultimately like it wasn't funny and I think it is billed as a comedy at least technically um but yeah I don't think as a kid I found it funny if I watched it back then I definitely didn't find it funny as an adult so watch it for Norm Macdonald if anything <laughs> yes I guess tribute well tribute to Norm I watched Dirty Work but we're not going to cover that one <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> Um, and it is interesting to see some of these people, I guess, like, it says that Paul Giamatti was uncredited. So, like, some of these people definitely got way more famous after this came out. Probably, like, Jeffrey Tambor yeah. got in Arrested Development or whatever, and... Yeah, yeah, I think this is before many of those actors had broken through, really. I think John Leguizamo probably was, mm -hmm. like, really early still. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and I mean, I assume we knew who Gilbert Gottfried mm -hmm. was, and Paul Rubens is apparently one of the of raccoon voice, so we knew that him, because um, that he was older. And I guess like Ellen DeGeneres would have been on Ellen would have been on TV at the time, I guess. Yeah, so. but again, she's like barely in the movie. Just like if you don't right. And yeah, just so it's just interesting how some of the people like skyrocketed, like Paul Giamatti did that sideways movie, and then he's all like well-regarded um but yeah some people improve their careers some people <laughs> fate <laughs> went went into obscurity fate shined I don't know. on some of them and didn't on others right <laughs> yes um but overall you know what i appreciate that this movie is like do be weird don't be normal yeah, that's a good message um yeah and i don't mind eddie murphy like getting a bunch of money from these movies necessarily Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's other actors I would begrudge. Oh, like Oliver Platt? Actually, I like <laughs> Oliver Platt, but yeah. Yeah, like, I can't say I had any issues with the actors. It was really just the, yeah, the what they were allowed to do with the script, I guess. Oh, well, maybe they'll make another do little in 20 years. Honestly, it would make a great television show because of the serial nature of the the children's books you would just have like adventure one is like this plot arc in a show or something right yeah no i think it would be a good show but for some reason they don't trust audiences with the actual story mm. and it well yeah with all these like uh just the rise of television again and all these tv shows and that fact that cgi is so cheap now or i mean if if Robert Downey Jr. is literally just like in it for a passion project not necessarily for the money like maybe he could do a tv show Maybe if, even if the movie wasn't good, he could probably like they could probably fix it somehow. I don't know. I have no idea. I, I'm probably never going to see that version at this point. Yeah, I refuse to watch it. <laughs> um, sounded really dumb. But that's true. All right. Anything else about Doctor Doodle? Cool name. Oh, they should have done a '90s style rap about John Doodle talking. Animals. Oh my god. Oh, that was the other thing. Was apparently the soundtrack of this was a big deal. It um the soundtrack was. A huge success peaked at number four on the Billboard 200 and the top R&B hip-hop albums. Um, and was certified two times multi-platinum. Wow, that's weird. It has an Aaliyah song in it. I know Aaliyah was very popular, so. Yeah. She could have played his wife, I guess. I don't know how old she was at that time. But... Oh my god, Aaliyah's, a... maybe she was a little young, I don't know. But yeah, it's like all the components of this were like, good just i wish the tone was different like you said yeah i mean i think it should have been a like a slam dunk right <laughs> oh well make it a pixar movie or something <laughs> up has certain similarities 
Right, there's the dog. Yeah, exactly. Like, tug on your heartstrings with these cute, cute animals. All right, in 1996, Aaliyah was 20, no, wait, 17. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> oh, well, in she would have been 19 then, so she would have been an adult, but very oh, young. But yeah, she was young. <laughs> but yeah, also in the books, the animals have, like, a lot more personality, uh, like you were saying, like, they have actual plots, and it isn't just, like, here's a funny cameo. Oh my god, I thought that sounded so cute, like a, a recipe book written by a pig. Like, there's... <laughs> Yeah, like there's multiple named characters, like this parrot that's, I think, really big in the books, Polynesia, which is probably also racially weird. Uh, But anyway, I think that's just more interesting. Um, Like in the books, they have like maybe like a boy and a girl sometimes accompany him, but mainly it is just the animals. Oh, I guess we could reference this. um, It's called the Push Me Pull You. Push Me Pull Mm -hmm. You. And a it's a gazelle and unicorn cross with two heads at opposite ends of its body. And this is from the books. And um, it's, let's see. Anyways, I didn't even notice this, but apparently in the 1988 Eddie Murphy movie, this push me pull you is like walking around in the background of a scene as a reference. And I didn't even notice That's weird, that. But I can imagine that being a big part of the 67 movie. Yeah. Have you seen that version, by the way? I've never seen it. It seemed boring. Is that, you said that's the one where they're singing, like, I can talk to the animals or whatever. I must have seen that because I know that yeah, song. Yeah, I think I've seen literally just that one scene. Mm. And I'm probably also confusing it because um, I'm pretty sure I caught some of, like, Mr. Ed on the, uh, like, Nick at Night. So <laughs> there was, like, that talking horse oh, show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's probably another thing that was floating around people's minds. Um, so there is the push me pull you, but it looks like a llama with two heads. So that movie probably also had like okay. some pretty impressive effects for the time. And yeah, these are both like big Fox properties. Okay. I just want to know how many Oscars this movie made. <laughs> oh, well, the original won a Oscar for Talk to the Animals and special effects. Interesting. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Apparently Richard Attenborough's in it too. Oh my God. Wait, David Attenborough? Richard. Who is Richard? The one who's in Jurassic Park. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Sorry, I thought you were talking about the British David Attenborough, like, Planet Earth guy for a second. I was like, that would actually make sense that he would be in an animal movie, animal-themed movie. But no. (laughs) This is interesting. It looks like there's still people carrying on the Doolittle books. You mean still um, writing them? Yeah, like, there's one in Japanese from 2020 that is... Oh, Hmm. Like, Wikipedia's citing. Maybe this has more staying power than I thought. And I assume you didn't see the sequel to this, right? I don't think so. Okay, yeah, I don't think I saw it, because I didn't like this one. Yeah, it must not have stuck out to me, which is saying something as a kid who loved animals. I was probably like, eh, about this movie back then. Yeah, and I think I probably just went to see it because probably my parents took me. Like, I don't, like, usually I would be the one being like, we should see this, or, you know, how kids are. Let's see this, let's see that. I think I probably was like, whatever. And they were like, oh, let's just see this. Oh, yeah, you're just looking. We have way fewer choices at the time, so you're like, what's the new movie that's out? Right, let's what can see we do it. this weekend or whatever? <laughs> yeah, what do we do without the internet, y'all? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so add this to the Jim Henson Muppet movie anthology. Add this to the list of cursed Jim Henson movies. <laughs> no. Oh, well, the second one has a bear, and a bear voiced by uh, Lisa Kudrow from Friends, and then another one voiced by Steve oh, Zahn, so I assume the movie's about them trying to get together, the two bears or whatever. Oh my gosh, yes. So that's kind of fun, sex. I guess. 
I don't know. I'm still just annoyed that they have a perfectly good plot that they could have used. <laughs> They're just like, oh, just make up our own stuff. Yeah, it really seems like pretty easy to make good because animals are so just cute and... I don't know, there's just a lot of good content there. <laughs> like, people loved Babe, too, right? Oh, those yeah, that's huge. animals talking. There's another one that was like... That was probably also the Henson, uh, Henson Creature Company. Probably, like, early CGI. Oh, they had puppets for that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's probably also, like, weird studio stuff we wouldn't understand behind the scenes that would make this make more sense. Mm. Oh, yeah, and Babe came out in 95, so another animal movie. Well, they claim the sequel is funnier, at least. Hmm. So there's that. But, yeah, you're right. They kept writing these novels. Uh, like, the original guy kept writing them for, like, 30 years, which is pretty crazy to think about. Yeah, he, like, wasn't that far off from when they decided to make a sh- um, the movie. That's funny. I guess there was an animated series, too, in the 70s, but I don't know if it was good or not. Yeah, I could see. A trippy animated thing could be fun. Everyone's super high. No. <laughs> it's like Yellow Submarine animation. Yeah, I'd be into that. Supposedly, they keep threatening to make a CGI version of Yellow Submarine, but hopefully they gave up on that. Well, maybe I would watch the sequel just to get to the Kyla Pratt movie. <laughs> yeah, you need to get the important canonical backstory. Yes, you have to must go in order or else you'll miss the plot. <laughs> it's like The Wire. You can't miss anything. It's also funny that now they went back and like made the uh, like set the movies where they're supposed to be set in the late eighteen hundreds, but would make more sense to set them in the modern day now because you could talk more about like all the ecological problems we're facing. I could go even deeper into like uh, I don't know the water system or whatever extinction level events happening. But yeah, imagine like Happy Feet, but like Doctor Doolittle. <laughs> And the 2020 movie or whatever also seems like it had a lot of famous actors. I guess it's kind of the same thing of like, uh, just do this movie cheaply and we'll throw you some money. Oh no, they, they, Hollywood just sees it as a vehicle for a bunch of voice acting and shit, probably. They're just like, oh, what a great property where it's just like, we can have a giant cast of people. Yeah, because the stupid. Yeah, because the value should be the cool premise. Awesome. So I didn't realize this, but the director of that Doodle movie had previously directed Siriana, uh, wrote The Alamo, and wrote Havoc and Traffic. So literally, nothing he's ever done has anything to do with this. Wait, yeah, those are all all very serious, right? Yeah, dark tone movies. The fuck was he thinking? (laughs) He's like, I'll make something my kids can watch. Mm. That's really weird. That's why, um, I remember, isn't that why, like, Antonio Banderas did Spy Kids or something? That's totally a motivation for people to do kids' movies. Yeah, and I am pleased to see that at least this new movie has some of the actual characters in the books. Uh, like, Polly the Parrot and Dab Dab the Duck. Oh. But again, I'll never see it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, do you have anything else to say about this movie? No. (laughs) <laughs> i cannot think of anything um but it is i like that this uh yeah this british property so we've like americanized it or something we've taken it on so only watch this movie if you really it. like animals or you really want to be mildly entertained <laughs> if you want to be really mildly entertained <laughs> yeah yeah if you want to be left speechless but only because there's just nothing to say about it <laughs> <laughs> not good enough to be bad and not bad enough to be good 
Mm-hmm. It's definitely that kind All of right. movie. So this has been Dr. Doodle for Cinemazing Chats. I'm Pablo. And I'm Erica. All right. Have a good one. Thank you.